1: took us about two months to be able to find somebody who we thought was not only going to be worthy, but truly be able to enlighten us on something that you all love more than anything, which is compliance, otherwise known as the Business Prevention Department. But we're going to take a very, very different look at it today because we have the owner and managing partner of my RIA lawyer. Her name is Layla Shaver, and I am really looking forward to picking her brain and asking her some really tough questions. Layla, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, first off, I uh, ask everybody the same question when we start off the show, which is, you tell me your history. How and why, in God's name, would you want to uh, work in financial services and in open My RIA Lawyer?
2: Like all the best things that have happened in my life, it was kind of accidental. I was... Finishing up law school during our last economic recession and looking for a job that paid and it just so happened that my mock trial coach was in house counsel for a brokerage firm based in Atlanta, they needed a person to fill in for the paralegal they had just fired. Um, And I guess I was the quickest to raise my hand to offer myself for that position. And that's basically how I got started. I was with that firm for about three and a half years and I stuck with it. Um, Ended up working and doing consulting work for private funds, um, you know, BDC interval conservation easement funds. Um, And then, you know, life just kind of happened. I ended up getting married and having my first child and, if if you guys know anything about Atlanta, Atlanta's an hour away from itself, so um, the commute was killer. And um, you know, I want to spend more time with my kids, so I started my RA lawyer, um, which helps investment advisors and firms navigate the legal complexities of the RIA world.
1: And I'm sorry, how long ago was that?
2: So it's been about three and a half years okay. uh, since the firm started. And uh, we've come a long way and I'm, I'm really excited by the things we've done and what we've got in the pipeline too.
1: What are the biggest questions you hear from the RIAs that you work with that want to use your services? Are they, are they trying to get really close to the compliance line Are they, what are they doing? I mean, how, how are they engaging you in using your brain?
2: With most of our clients, they kind of fall into one of two buckets, which is they're either coming to us to be used in kind of like a prophylactic standpoint, come in, help us review our program, help us fix it, get us on the right track. The second bucket is, oh shit. (laughs) <laughs> we've been audited yeah. and there are all these deficiencies and we're potentially facing a fine or if it's really egregious, you know, some sort of suspension um, of one of the principals. we need your help. So those are kind of the one of two buckets that the clients fall into, you know, and then it it goes from there. So it could be the second bucket of, oh crap, something happened. And it may not necessarily be a regulator. It could be a client complaint, um, arbitration litigation filed against them for something they should have caught, but they they didn't. And really it stems usually from a firm where the CEO is also the CCO. And they're just not putting in the time um, to fulfill that role. um, And to the caliber that the SEC or a state securities commission, if it's a state registered firm, expects. We see generally firms falling in one of those two buckets.
1: There's so much open to interpretation. I don't understand a lot of the interpretation. Outside of RIAs, so so we work with a lot of broker-dealers, mm-hmm. and a broker-dealer's compliance department can read one sentence, uh, and then somebody else can read an, the sentence and, and come up with two totally different answers or or results or adjudications or whatever uh, this is what you're allowed to do Sure. how do you as an attorney one make those decisions and interpretations and then two how is this protecting our clients specifically because I mean we, we run a podcasting and social media company right how you interpret something might be something different than how another uh, attorney interprets something how is that still protecting the advisor
2: So you have to separate, you know, SEC, State Securities Commission world from FINRA world. In the RIA space, there's definitely more gray. There's definitely way more interpretation. We are, and when I say we, I don't mean the royal we, but the law firm, the attorneys that I have on staff and I, we really are very comfortable functioning in the gray. And so there may be a law or regulation, and then we look to see what guidance has been issued by either the SEC or State Securities Commission, whichever one has jurisdiction over the RIA. And really at the end of the day saying, based on what's out there, this is what we think you can do. And really with the RIA space, I tell advisors, you can do 99.9% of the things you want to do because there's a way to make the appropriate disclosures or make it work. It's really when we're talking about fraud, for example, obviously anything that's clearly fraudulent, you know, you're not going to be able to do. Shift over to FINRA BD world. There is way more clear-cut rules and regulations and guidance from FINRA. From a compliance person's perspective, it's probably easier to look at, you know, some sort of piece of social media marketing or advertising um, and be able to provide edits or recommendations on the piece on the FINRA side versus the SEC RAA mm-hmm. side. It's it's much more up for interpretation and figuring out how it works within the framework of guidance and limited rules.
1: I think it's so, funny that you say that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but... Uh, sure. <laughs> The RIA's that we work with, it's the greatest experience ever, right? Yeah. Because they're they know. So here here's the fun part. They know that what they're saying is not violating anything, right? The advisors and the companies that we work with know that they're not breaking, you know, the SEC regulations. They're they're not breaking the rules. But it's the broker dealers with the fifteen layers of of from Finra guidelines to. That one generally newer attorney that you're working with because they just burn through compliance people so fast who are making an interpretation that that is really not in line with the very clear cut rules when it comes to, uh, you know, social media and and podcasting. And I'm going to I'm going to switch gears, if you don't mind, because I want to ask you about a couple of key things. There's two reasons why people don't start podcasting. Number one. They don't know what they're going to talk about, which we solve with no problem. But number two is compliance, right? And it doesn't matter if they're an RIA or if they are a captive agent or even in a BD. They are concerned about these three things. So I'm going to rattle these off and I'm going to pick your brain. Number one, ratings. So when we publish a podcast to iTunes or to Google Play, the listeners have the opportunity to rate the podcast. There are some who say that that is a testimonial, and others who say it's not. I'm not trying to put you on the spot and, and make have you have a decision, but would you mind talking to me a little bit about the thinking along this
2: lines? Sure. So on the RIA space, testimonials are prohibited. Now, thankfully, the SEC is getting with the times and is reviewing that rule and looking to make testimonials legal. Until that rule goes into effect, though, testimonials. Aren't it, they're prohibited. Mm-hmm. Our interpretation of something like an iTunes where you can go and rate a podcast, we would make the argument that it is not a testimonial. You're providing a rating based on the quality of the podcast. And that could be your host. That could be the speakers. It could be the content, mm-hmm. how useful that content is. That's not necessarily saying, the advisor on the podcast is a great advisor, gets me great performance results. You guys should go invest your money with them. We would certainly make the argument in that context, say this is not a testimonial. We This is simply a rating on the quality of the podcast. That has nothing to do with the advisory or management services provided by that advisor.
1: I want everybody listening to this right now to immediately pick up the phone and hire my RIA lawyer (laughs) because we, I mean, Layla, that's exactly, I've read all of these. I'm, I'm very, very nerdy. I was actually a paralegal when I was in the Navy and I love legal stuff. Like I love it. I was going to be a lawyer and and it just didn't work out that way. Um, God
2: bless you. Yeah. Well, you
1: know, (laughs) I figured at one point there were enough of them, but
2: True, probably. <laughs> when, when
1: I look at when I looked at the actual black and white letters that are written down, that's what seems to make the most sense to me. All right. Now, here's the next one. In our syndication process, what we do is we syndicate to 10 major syndication players, but those 10 syndication players have a lot of like kind of like an RSS almost that pull, or maybe it's more of an API, that pull those podcasts into different players. And there are compliance departments in the RIA world that will say, you can't publish there because we can't track the podcast after it leaves, and we don't know what people are doing with the information. What do you think?
2: Tough shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's the internet,
1: remember? I mean, there's like webs and stuff.
2: I mean, listen, from a compliance (laughs) perspective, you have to have a copy of the recording on file um, as, you know, a book and record of that podcast or radio show or whatever it may be, whatever platform, whatever method you are sending that information out. After it's on the internet, you can't stop things that are beyond your control. So if there's a third party drawing that content and putting it out on a different platform, that's beyond your control. You can't track it. Now from a marketing perspective, yeah, if I'm the owner, you know, the person that's getting leads, I want to know where those leads are coming from. So certainly from that perspective, yeah, it can be annoying because you're having a hard time tracking how well your marketing funnel is performing. Okay. So we'll say from the entrepreneurial marketing perspective, that can be difficult, but from a purely compliance standpoint, you have a copy of the recording and how it was used on the platform that you were able to control. That's good enough. After that, once it's out of your control, I say, don't worry about it. The problem with a lot of compliance people is they're not comfortable with the gray. And sometimes they say no without understanding why it is they're saying no. And if you ask them, why is this a no? They can't give you an actual direct response. That's why I think there's such a high turnover of compliance people to your earlier question and why... Compliance is kind of a pain in the butt for a lot of advisors. What what you referred to earlier as the business prevention department. It's because it's just so much unknown. There are a lot of people uncomfortable with it.
1: It's the law. (laughs) I mean, don't you get taught in law school that it's really gray and up for interpretation, and depending on the quality of the argument and the quality of the precedent and all of that sort of stuff? Wasn't wasn't that part of your whole education? It seems strange to me that people would want it to be more black and white. I mean, maybe if you're in, in corporate law or something like that, you know, mergers and acquisitions where there maybe isn't as much gray, but this is all about communication, marketing, feeling, sure, emotions. It is all gray.
2: It is, but that's, that's part of the problem. Yes. From a uh, legal training. Yeah. Those are all things we learned, but not all your compliance people are attorneys. Um, So they may not necessarily be on the SEC's website like I am every day, reading every single press release, reading all the new guidance, the notice to members, the state interpretations. I mean, all the state securities commissions put out their own guidance as well on their rules. You're not seeing that, and most compliance people aren't trained to do it. Hmm. And most of these corporate RIAs, these larger RIAs that we see, you know, there's, there's very little training that's happening. And so you put someone in a position where they know a fixed number of rules. They may not understand why those rules exist or what they're meant to prevent. And they get burnt out because then they're they're having to deal with a high volume of content coming through for approval. You know, it's tough. Uh, as attorneys, we're, we're certainly comfortable with the gray. But yeah, something something like that. I mean, at some point you just got to say, Reasonable. What's the reasonable standard that we can put on advisors, and that is control what you can, leave the rest up to the internet. The people <laughs> it.
1: Which you just gave about nine thousand people a minor heart attack with that statement that you just made. <laughs> How Please. many people do you have on your team? I mean, you're you're talking about you're as nerdy about uh, SEC stuff as I am about podcasting technology and podcasting technique. I'm I'm always reading the best hosting techniques, the best equipment, the best editing tools. How many people do you have on your team in in Atlanta?
2: We're all kind of spread out. It's myself and two senior attorneys. Um, They're based out of Florida. One's in Tampa, one's in Palm beach. So I find every excuse I can to go visit them. And then we have support staff. So paralegals, associates, you know, receptionists, compliance people, but we work in different satellite offices so that we are available hmm. to advisors throughout the country to the extent extent we can be. And my goal for the future for the firm is to have a satellite office in all the major regions so that advisors have someone that's relatively local to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It'd be nice not only to just have somebody who can hyper-focus on... That regions, you know, SEC state or or whatever uh, exactly. opinions about so yeah, that's that's super smart. If you could provide advice to anybody in financial services when it comes to compliance, what are some things that are are some tips or tricks or ways that you go back and and maybe fight you? When we were preparing for the podcast, you talked about the word expert and bringing out Black's Law Dictionary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is that something that our people should have to talk about what the definitions of some of these words are? I'm just looking, I mean, you've done this for a while. You're obviously yeah. very, very successful. Let, let's talk about some of the key tips and tricks that you can provide for our audience.
2: First and foremost, you have to just give it up. Give up this whole idea that you are going to do all the training, the reading, the staying up to date necessary to be a really good CCO. Compliance is a non-revenue generating activity as an advisor, as a CEO, that is not what is the highest and best use of your time. So give it up, outsource it, bring somebody in house. If you want to open that position up to someone else to handle that for you, it'll a open your time up to go actually do revenue generating activities like getting leads, servicing clients, but it also means that you have someone who's an expert in that field to handle that for you. So, I mean, that's my first tip is get someone to do that for you. Second part is get someone who's got experience or who has a law degree or has, you know, had a substantial compliance role with a company. You want someone who's constantly interacting with examiners. You want someone who's keeping up to date with the information. In 10 years, the laws, the regulations, the rules, the requirements, the restrictions, they have changed so much. I mean, think about when Dodd-Frank happened, how far we've come in just in the last decade and the things that we have to look forward to, like Reg BI coming to a firm near you June of this year. SEC says they're not extending the deadline on that going into effect. So give it up, get someone with expertise, get someone who's got some experience and have them do the compliance. The other part of it is stop looking at compliance as your business disruption or business prevention (laughs) department. I think a lot of people have this mindset that compliance is gonna be the no people. And maybe they have been traditionally for a lot of firms. We take the position of tell me what your business goal is with this decision. Maybe the way you're, you're trying to approach it is not the best way but at least if you tell us the the reason from a business perspective why you want to accomplish this we can work with you to find the solution that won't draw the ire of the regulators so that you won't have an examiner up your butt all the time and give you a ton of anxiety i think those are the big tips
1: well good and let's talk about the up your butt because um <laughs> if you've made a mistake in the past it seems that they're even more hypervigilant. Does your group work at all with expungement of or any issues on any sort of uh, hits or dings on their record?
2: Yes, we do work with a lot of advisors who have disclosures. We can definitely help them with expungements. And I'll also say the the law is changing on that as well, where there's a rule pending now um, where A, the fees are increasing for expungements, and B, there's going to be a time limit now on when you can expunge a certain disclosure. So You're going to have to be doing it within 12 months of the actual disclosure. So the regulators are really making it difficult. They will be making it more difficult for brokers, for advisors to go and expunge these records off of their, their publicly available disclosures. So definitely, if, it's, if you're thinking about it, you need to do it. Yes, we can help. And listen, at the end of the day, you should know that FINRA and the SEC, they both have a team of people that uses a computer-driven algorithm to create a risk profile on your firm. And that risk profile, where you fall in the scheme of that algorithm, determines how frequently you're going to get reviewed, what they're going to review you for. And then keep in mind, you are subject to reviews by other regional offices. So there may be a regional office in LA that's looking at testimonials and your office is in Florida. That LA office could be coming and doing a narrowly construed examination for testimonials on your firm and they're not your region's office. So keep in mind that these are things that are happening around you If you have something you need to get expunged, go ahead and do it. It'll help your risk profile. If you're worried about things that have happened and maybe aren't on the radar quite yet, go ahead, nip it in the bud. Get Mm. someone to come in and help you get rid of it.
1: Layla, do most people know what you just said about the algorithm?
2: A lot of people figure that there's, there's some sort of risk profiling happening of businesses. I don't think they realize how systematic the examiners, the regulators are on that. And they're looking at your ADV. They're looking Mm -hmm. at your compliance manual. They're looking at the disclosures of your IARs. That's how they're determining that risk profile. Hmm. So I tell all my firms, client or otherwise, I tell them, do not put stuff in your compliance manual, in your ADV, in any of your books and records that don't reflect your actual business practices. You want to do hedge funds? Great. If you're not doing them, don't put it in your (laughs) ADB Mm -hmm.
1: because that
2: just increases your risk profile. Hmm. A lot of what we know comes from all the examinations we help advisors with. So a lot of this, and that's why I said before, experience is so important because some of these things are, they're not written in the rules. They're not available in the guidance. It's from talking with examiners during an examination and getting their input.
1: Hmm. Do you help people become an RIA?
2: We do. We help several advisors every month set up their own independent advisory firms. Hmm. Uh, We see a lot of brokers leaving FINRA world and wanting to go into the RIA world. And we're happy to help. We work with businesses of all sizes.
1: Why would somebody leave their broker dealer or being a captive person within a large wirehouse? Why would they become an RIA? What are the huge benefits there?
2: The biggest reason is money. You have the potential to make more money in the independent space, especially as master of your own domain. Depending on your payout schedule with your firm, it most likely is more beneficial from a financial perspective to go independent. You consider the platform fees, the third-party money manager fees, the technology fees, the compliance fees, the legal fees, all of these fees that you're paying the headquarters of the firm you're associated with. Well, what if you're a low risk person? What if you're not really going to compliance a lot for marketing and advertising, or you're not really a legal risk? You don't use a lot of the technology. You're spending all that, you know, all that money is being taken care out of your fees and you don't even use it. So that's that's the biggest reason. And the second reason is control. And this kind of goes back to my earlier answer about compliance people generally. People just don't like the idea that someone else is controlling the way they speak to their clients, the way they manage their books of business. And a lot of times these advisors, they've, you know, they've worked very, very hard to get the clients they have, but because they got those clients during the time with the firm, they're not actually theirs. So if they walk away, they're walking away with no clients and having to start fresh. And that's hard. That's hard for the advisor that makes that choice and walks away and starts over again. But for a lot of people, they're just fed up with that control. So, I mean, money and control are the two biggest reasons.
1: And advisors love control. That's one of the things that generally makes them really good at what they do is that they love to know everything in this compliance box that's brought to them by their general agencies their broker dealers. You know, the companies that they work for, they are so wildly nebulous. We just had a really large producer with a large insurance company moved to a different general agency and that general agency had its own internal compliance department and overruled everything that the other compliance department had approved for us with really no good explanation we don't Layla and I think this is important for you to know uh, just in case you ever have any of your clients who want a podcast but we have voice talents specifically who are trained in financial services. So if you say something that we know you're not supposed to say, we tell you to stop right there and we we edit it out, sometimes even live, that we'll go back and say, nope, you, you just said something you're not supposed to say. If you could wave a magic wand, which uh, you might have actually, because you know, anyway, uh, if you if you could wave a magic wand, sure. what would you change? What would you change within our industry from, from a compliance standpoint or... Or just with your experience, what what is something you change?
2: The biggest driver of action and inaction is fear. And if I could wave a wand and take away every individual advisor's fear, I would do it. And I say that because something like what we're going through now with coronavirus, for the most part, most people are working from home if they're working. And in speaking with a lot of advisors, they fall into one of two buckets. There's nothing happening. I have no leads. I'm just sitting at home chilling or I have more leads than I can handle. I've got more work now than I did before the quarantine. Both of those buckets of people are driven by fear. But one's fear is driving them to action. One's fear is driving them to inaction. At the end of the day, what's going to get you in trouble is fear that keeps you from acting. Now's the time for advisors to stand up, to reach out to their clients, to communicate. That in turn is going to be reviewed by regulators. Because let me tell you, it's coming. They've relaxed rules, they've relaxed deadlines, they've relaxed certain requirements because of inaccessibility during this quarantine time and and many states have stay-at-home orders, they're going to come back and see what the hell you did for these 30, 60, 90, however long this goes on and how your clients were affected. Fear drives everything. Hmm. So I would say if I had the magic wand, that's the one thing I would do is take away the fear so people could see clearly what's going on in their business and act appropriately.
1: What is the best way for our audience to reach out and to find out more about engaging your services?
2: Sure. Um, You can always visit our website, www.myralawyer.com. You can always call our receptionist. It's a 24-7 live person, and you can reach us at 770-462-2118. Our receptionist will schedule you a time with me to discuss whatever's on your mind, And we actually have an emergency protocol as well. So if it's an absolute emergency, let our receptionist know and they will find me wherever I am or one of our other attorneys and we'll get on the line immediately to help you through whatever emergency you're going through.
1: Layla Shaver, thank you so much. You were a freaking awesome guest and I'm so happy to have been able to ask you these questions.
2: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: I love that if Layla could wave a magic wand, it'd be to take away fear because fear really is false evidence appearing real, right? It's your, it's that pro- prohibition, that, that thing that stops you from truly being able to be the advisor that you can. And this is one of the reasons we're seeing so many financial services professionals leave their broker-dealers and really, truly become independent because they know that their broker-dealer is focusing on that bottom 2% of advisors that right. are making the mistakes, right, Layla? I mean, that's the thing. Get out from underneath that. Hire the My RAA lawyer here. See what it <laughs> means to to uh, to become truly independent because it can make a world of difference. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. And you should probably share this whole podcast with your compliance department. And it's very easy to do that by just either copying the link or clicking that share button. For Layla and for everybody at My RAA Lawyer and everybody here at Top Advisor Marketing, We'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon.
0: Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the contact us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. This was brought to you by iris.xyz, a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.